If you have your Bible, if you'll open it with me to the Gospel of Matthew uh, chapter 28, in just a few minutes we're going to look at uh, verses 19 and 20, a very familiar section of Scripture. We just finished a long series of messages, and before we begin another series of messages, uh, we're that in-between time, and there are some things that uh, need to be addressed every church year, and this is one of the subjects that should be addressed every church year. So I'm going to be doing that uh, here this morning. What we're going to be talking about today is baptism. Baptism. Now, whenever I say baptism, it creates fear in some people's minds. Uh, sometimes it's because of water. They're afraid of water. Sometimes it's because of getting in front of people. Uh, sometimes it's because their hair is going to get messed up or their makeup might uh, not be there when they come up out of the water or a number of other things. So normally what I like to do when I begin talking about baptism and bring a message about baptism, I like to take a few minutes and just sort of to, to relieve some of the tension, uh, to take away some of the fear. And to do that, we, we can laugh a little bit. A number of years ago, been a good number of years ago, I was trying to alleviate those kinds of fears in people's minds about getting ready for baptism, where you would be, and the things that you would be wearing, and what would, who would be there to meet you, and what you would find when you got back into one of the dressing areas. And in the process of bringing this message, I was talking about uh, modesty. I mean, it's all absolute modesty. You have a private area to, to dress in and get ready uh, for baptism and after baptism and so forth. And I, I began talking to them about the robes that we put on, the, the robes that we wear when we get baptized that keep us from getting all of our clothes wet. And I talked to them about the see-through robes that we wear. <laughs> Let me say it again, about the see-through <laughs> robes that we wear. I meant to say the non-see-through, the opaque robes that we wear. I will tell you this, that the next baptism attendance was up. <laughs> uh, but that's one of those funny things that... Uh, that can happen when it comes to baptism. The most recent thing that happened when it came to baptism is uh, this last time we baptized just here shortly ago, I, I tripped up the steps going into the baptistry on this side over here are steps going up to the baptistry. You know, when I get ready for baptism so that I don't have to get my clothes cleaned every time, I take them to the dry cleaners and get them clean. I wear, I wear these boots, these big heavy boots that come up to my chest, waders. Uh, I'm not a fisherman. Y'all know that, don't you? I mean, the only time I ever wear boots like this is to baptize. But have you ever been in a pair of those things? I mean, they're heavy to begin with. You know, they're bulky. Your feet flop around inside these shoes that are on the bottom of these things. And you're always in a hurry. You always want to go to eat after the service. And so you want me to rush. And I'm thinking, they're, they're sitting out there waiting on me. I've got to hurry. And so I go running up the steps, and I did not pick up my foot quite far enough with one of the steps, and I caught the step, and down I went, and up against the wall with a big thud. Now, I'm told that not very many people out here, they knew something had happened, but not very many people out here knew what had happened, obviously. But now that, that row of people who were waiting for baptism, who were watching it, weren't necessarily inspired with great confidence uh, at that particular moment that I couldn't even get up to the baptistry, let alone get in uh, the baptistry. You know, there are some funny things that happen, especially when it comes to the matter of baptizing children. In 40 years, I'm glad to be able to tell you that I've never lost anybody in the baptistry. 
Nobody's ever drowned in the baptistry. That's good news, isn't it? All of us on the pastoral staff are trained in deep water baptistry rescues. Uh, we've all been through the training. We all know how to save anybody that gets lost in the baptistry. And, you know, if there is a problem, uh, if there is a problem, we have staff members that are ready to, you know, you start drifting away from us. We have staff members that are ready to throw you the life preserver uh, to make sure that you don't get lost in those deep waters and we can't do anything for you or help you. That's cute, isn't it? It's funny. Well, it's funny sometimes, but I want you to understand as well that baptism is a very important matter. It's a very central matter uh, to the Christian faith, and it's something that we want to laugh about when there's funny things, but we also want to be reminded the importance of this whole subject of baptism. And where I want us to read today is Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. This is commonly called the Great Commission. And uh, it tells us something very important uh, that we want to take note of. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus speaking says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the very last thing that Jesus leaves his disciples to do is to make disciples. And he says the very first step in making disciples, after somebody is converted to Christ, after somebody has trusted Jesus as Savior, the very first thing to going on to being a disciple of Jesus is that they are baptized. And so Jesus makes this very important. He puts it right at the very beginning. He says, look, the very first step of obedience, the first step of a person going on to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus is that that person follow him in baptism. So as you think about these two verses of Scripture, there's four thoughts I want to give you quickly. Just touch on them briefly. First of all, baptism is for believers only. Baptism is for believers only. Uh, this is not something that's just a mere ceremony. It's not something that you do just to become a part of a church. It's, it's not something you do for uh, you know, purely family reasons. This is a, a matter of obedience to Jesus Christ. And, and the ones who are to be baptized are believers. That is somebody who trusts in the Lord Jesus. That's why we don't practice infant baptism. And while we understand why some churches do, we also understand that baptism in the New Testament was always for those who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And an infant is not able to believe on the Lord Jesus for himself or herself. Not until they come of age to be able to understand the gospel and to trust the Lord Jesus as their, as their Savior should they follow the Lord in baptism. This is not just a ceremony. This is not just a family ritual. This is not just something that's devised by the church to be done as sort of a dedication of a child. This is a matter for believers only. And when you look through the New Testament, after Jesus gives this commandment, and you look through the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, that's what you discover. For instance, in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, when Philip had finished preaching and they received Jesus, they were baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch, after he had heard an explanation of the person of Christ and he had trusted Christ, he was baptized, Acts 8, 38. That's what happened with the apostle Paul. When he met Christ on the Damascus road, it was after that that he was baptized, Acts chapter 9, verse 18. 
It's true of the Caesarean uh, Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, verse 48. They believed and then they were baptized. That's what happened to Lydia in Acts chapter 16. The Lord opened her heart and she believed on Christ and then she was baptized. That's what occurred with the Philippian jailer uh, when he asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after that, they were baptized. That's what happened to a man by the name of Crispus in, chapter, in Acts chapter 18, uh, verse 8. It was after he had received Christ that he followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And so we just need to begin by understanding that baptism is not just a ceremony. It's not just a ritual. It's not something that's done for the family or for membership in a church alone. It's a matter for believers to follow the Lord Jesus. I was baptized as, as a boy at the age of 12 in the Methodist church. I went through the confirmation class. At the end of the confirmation class, I went forward with a bunch of other kids, and we were all sprinkled and baptized in the congregation, and we became members of the church. But it wasn't until I was 16 years of age that I came to understand the gospel, that it really struck home with me, and I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and guess what I did? I followed the Lord in believer's baptism. That's why we say it that way. It's believer's baptism. Number two, baptism is for all believers, no exception. There's no exceptions given here. He didn't say, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing some of them. He says, baptizing them all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so it's for every believer. You say, well, it's not for me. It's got to be for somebody else. No, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then the very next step for you is the step of following the Lord in believer's baptism. It's so closely associated with your trusting Jesus that it's automatically assumed in the New Testament that when you trust Christ, you're going to be baptized. And there's no exception. In those passages of Scripture where you read about somebody coming to faith in Jesus, but you don't read about their baptism, it's automatically assumed that that's what has occurred because that's the pattern that's established in all of the other passages of Scripture to which I've already referred. That's the pattern that's, that's uh, already affirmed. And so baptism is for all believers, no exception. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you know that uh, you have received the gift of eternal life, your sins are forgiven, that you're a child of the living God, the Lord expects you, He commands you to follow Him in believer's baptism. Number three, baptism is performed soon after salvation. I know some churches like to have a waiting period, and I understand what they're saying. We want to find out if their faith is genuine or not, but that's really not what the Scripture says. You look at those who were baptized, they were baptized immediately after they were saved. In essence, when you tell someone that you know, we're going to put this off to see whether you're genuine or not. In essence, you're encouraging their disobedience uh, to the very command that Jesus gave. No, when a person trusts Jesus, the very next step they take in this matter of discipleship with the Lord is that they follow him in believer's baptism. It happens as soon after your profession of faith is possible. Now, I realize that there may be some people who are hearing my voice and they were saved maybe many years ago but were never baptized. Maybe you weren't taught about baptism or some reason you put it off or you uh, de-emphasized it in your life and your parents didn't, your parents didn't uh, uh, make it something that was a priority or maybe some family member didn't make it was a matter of priority and you're hearing it today. For you, it means as soon as you can, as soon as we can arrange it, 
for, for you to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And the fourth thing, this just quickly as we begin here, baptism is the first step of discipleship for the believer. Baptism is the first step of discipleship for the believer. Now understand, we're saved by faith in Jesus, by faith and by faith alone in Jesus. But that's not the end. Being saved is just the beginning of what is supposed to be a life of discipleship. And that life of discipleship starts the moment you step into the waters and follow him in believer's baptism. By faith, you have escaped the penalty of hell. You've been forgiven of your sins. By baptism, you have begun the pathway of following Jesus as his disciple. It is the first step. So what does it say? You say, I'm a disciple, but you haven't even taken the first step. What does it say? You say you're a disciple, but you haven't been obedient in the most fundamental issue of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In other words, we're supposed to be baptized. If we know Christ as our Savior, every one of us who knows Christ is to follow the Lord as soon as possible. As soon as we come to understand this is required of us as the children of God, we're supposed to follow the Lord in believer's baptism because it's a matter of a first step of baptism or a first step of discipleship. Baptism is a first step of discipleship. So keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this message. Baptism is not some ancillary matter. It's not some ceremonial matter. It's not some family tradition that we follow. Baptism is a matter of what Jesus has commanded his church to do. Now, in light of that, why is baptism so very important? Why would I stand here and take an entire message and encourage you, if you have not been baptized, to follow the Lord in believer's baptism? Why would I encourage you, if you have family members that know Christ who have not been baptized, why would I be encouraging you to help them to take that next step? Well, there's four reasons why. And the first is this. Baptism signifies identification. Baptism signifies identification. When a person steps in the waters of the baptistry, they are in essence saying, I want to be identified with Jesus. I want everyone to know what I believe. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that Jesus was buried for my sins. And I believe Jesus rose again for my sins. I believe that my entire eternal destiny rests on Jesus Christ. And he hung on the cross unashamed of me loving me. And I will stand in these waters and be baptized unashamed of him. I will identify myself with Jesus. Again, that's the New Testament model. In 1 Corinthians, we learn about the division that was in the church. Some of them were saying, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas. And there are several reasons why they were saying that, but one of them is that some of these had been baptized by those particular individuals. And when they were baptized by those particular individuals, then they, in essence, were saying, I've identified with Paul, or I've identified with Apollos, or I've identified with Cephas, or I've identified with this one. And it created this kind of division within the congregation that God never intended it to be. Because baptism indicated, uh, it, it indicated identification. That, that's why Paul, in that same passage where you're talking about the division, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. Paul stops and says, I, I didn't baptize any of you. Except for Crispus and Gaius. Other than that, I didn't baptize any of you. You weren't baptized, he says, in my name. 
You were baptized in the name of Jesus. You weren't identifying with me or Apollos or Cephas. You were, you were baptized in, in the name of Jesus. You were identifying with Jesus. Why? Because baptism indicates identification. When a person is unwilling to step forward and be, follow the Lord and believers' baptism, they're unwilling to identify themselves publicly with those uh, who know Christ. They're, un, they're unwilling to identify with Christ himself. That, that same concept is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It talks about those Jews who followed Moses through the Red Sea, and it says they were baptized unto Moses. They were baptized unto Moses. Now, they weren't baptized in Moses' name, but it meant they were identifying themselves with Moses. Moses is our leader. Moses is leading us out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and out to the mountain where God's going to give us the law. And when Jesus speaks of them, or excuse me, Paul speaks of them being baptized unto Moses, he's saying they were identified with Moses. So that when we talk about baptism, inevitably we have to acknowledge that baptism signifies identification. We're not ashamed of Jesus. We're not ashamed to be identified with Jesus. We should be willing to step out of the shadows and step into the light and let it be clearly known and clearly understand that we are, in fact, followers of Jesus Christ. There's an author that I read sometimes. His name is Robert K. DeVries. He's written a book called The New Testament Doctrine of Ritual Baptism. And in it, this is what he says. Among educated Hindus, Muslims, and Jews, total defection or apostasy from their respective faiths to Christianity comes only, hear the word, comes only when the Christian convert submits to baptism. It is a mark of absolute identification with the Christian faith. And then he goes on to say, would to God this were true throughout the world. Would to God that it would be more than a ceremony and more than a ritual and more than a family tradition. Would to God it would be a matter for all of our hearts that we are stepping forward before everybody else to publicly identify ourselves. We are followers of Jesus. We believe he died for our sins. We believe he was buried. We believe he rose again. We believe he lives today and saves all who come to him. And you're identifying yourself with Jesus. May I just tell you the world in which we live, the day in which we live, we desperately need people who are unashamed to identify with Jesus. We desperately need people who are unashamed to be identified with Jesus. Someone has said that baptism is like a wedding ring. They both symbolize a transaction. A wedding ring symbolizes marriage just as baptism symbolizes salvation. Wearing a wedding ring does not make you married any more than being baptized makes you saved. So it is in the New Testament, they say, if a person was not baptized, you could probably assume that he or she was not a believer. On this we must be clear, the author says, baptism is a symbol of salvation and only a symbol, but like a wedding ring, it is such an effective symbol that it should never be taken for granted, never taken for granted. It is a matter of our identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. There's a megachurch pastor in Southern California. His name's Rick Warren. You probably have heard his name. Uh, he's a mega, mega church pastor. And uh, he's written The Purpose Driven Life, a very popular book. If you haven't read it, I recommend it to you. 
It's a very good book, but he tells the story about a little boy that came to him one day, and he wanted to be baptized, but he didn't say it the right way, and the little boy came to, uh, to Pastor Warren and said, when can I get advertised? When can I get advertised? That's what baptism is. It's an advertisement. It's an advertisement that says, Jesus is the one who saved me, and Jesus is the one that I follow. Baptism is a matter of signifying identification. Secondly, baptism constitutes dedication. Baptism constitutes dedication. Now, it looks back to what Jesus has done, his death, his burial, and resurrection, but baptism looks forward to the future and to what you are saying about how you're going to live your life. In essence, when you step into the waters of the baptistry, you are dedicating yourself to live for Jesus in a hostile world. And the world we live in is not going to become more Christian-friendly. We live in a post-Christian America. We live in a world where if you identify with Jesus and you live out your faith publicly, you will be mocked and you will be shamed and you may well be persecuted. And yet, that's exactly what the Scripture says we must be willing to do. It's not just a matter of identifying with Jesus by looking back at what He has accomplished for us. It's a matter of looking forward and declaring that in a hostile world, we will identify with Jesus, and we will follow Jesus, no matter what the cost may be. It's that kind of, of commitment, that kind of declaration of dedication that you're making when you're baptized. It's a promise, not just of your faith in Jesus, it's a promise of your faithfulness to Jesus. Now, all of us fail. All of us falter along the way. None of us are perfect, and aren't we thankful that we can go to Jesus and we can ask him to forgive us and he cleanses us. He doesn't throw us out of the family, uh, that he forgives us and restores us to a right fellowship with him. We, we all know we're going to fail, but that's not the thing we go into. We don't go in with the attitude, oh, I'm going to fail, so I'm just going to fail anyway and let it go. A nonchalant, non-caring attitude. We're baptized declaring that we intend to be followers of Jesus, and when we fail, we'll seek His forgiveness, and we'll get up, and we'll go back to the place we left Him, and we'll keep on following Jesus. That's what it means to be baptized. When the New Testament talks about baptism, on one occasion it talks about John's baptism. He talks about the, those that came to John the Baptist. You remember John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, the one who was the, the, the sent one to prepare the way for the coming Messiah? We read about it every Christmas. All across our churches, we read, we read about the story of John the Baptist and the story of the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. Well, John the Baptist, it says when people were baptized, they were following the teachings of John. In other words, their baptism, when John baptized them, they were identifying with John, and they were committing themselves, dedicating themselves to follow the teachings of John. So it is when we're baptized, and we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're baptized in the name of Jesus, we're not only identifying with Him, we're declaring that we're going to follow Him in our lives. One of my favorite writers is a man by the name of Dr. M. R. DeHaan. Dr. DeHaan passed away last, he passed away in the previous century. 
in the 20th century. Um, he was a medical doctor, and God saved him, and God called him to the ministry, and he became a very prolific author. Uh, in addition uh, to uh, being a doctor, he became a very prolific author and speaker and preacher. If you can find some of his books, you ought to buy them, Dr. M.R. DeHaan. If you can find them, you ought to buy them. You'll have to find them probably in a used bookstore. Uh, I don't know that they're even being printed anymore. If they are, I don't know where they're being printed. But I have them in my library, and I love those books that Dr. DeHaan has written. He writes about this subject of baptism and, and the fact that baptism is something that constitutes dedication. Listen to what he says. In the early days of the church, baptism was a declaration that the believer was definitely identifying himself with that group of people who were called Christians and were despised and hated. To identify yourself with those who were called Christians meant persecution, maybe death. It meant being ostracized from your family, shunned by friends. And the one act which was the final declaration of this identification was baptism. As long as a man gathered with Christians, he was tolerated. But once he submitted to baptism, he declared to all the world, I belong to this despised group. And immediately he was persecuted, hated, and despised. In baptism, he says, therefore, the believer entered into the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. A person might be a believer and keep it strictly a secret and thus avoid unpleasantness and suffering. But once he submitted to public baptism... He had burned his bridges behind him. Do you understand what he's saying? Baptism is a matter that constitutes dedication. Even if it brings on me the hatred of the world around me, I'm going to be following Jesus. And so baptism signifies identification. It constitutes dedication. There's a Texas pastor by the name of Jim Dennison. While he was in college, he served as a summer missionary in East Malaysia. And while he was there, he attended a small church. And one evening, he saw a teenage girl who went forward to announce her decision to follow Christ and to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. After the service was over, Dennison noticed that there were some worn-out luggage, pieces of luggage that were stacked against the wall of the church building. And he was curious about this luggage. Where, it had, where had it come from? What, what, what was the purpose of, of this luggage? And the pastor looked at him and said, her father said, if she was baptized as a Christian, she could never go home again. So she brought her luggage with her. She brought her luggage with her. That's, that's baptism. Baptism is identifying with Jesus. Baptism is saying, I dedicate myself to follow Jesus, even in a world that is hostile toward the things of Christ. Thirdly, baptism establishes association. Baptism signifies identification. Baptism constitutes dedication. Baptism establishes association. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, there is no such thing in the New Testament as people who belong to a church that were not baptized. There may have been people who attended the church that were not baptized, but there was no such thing as people who belonged to the church who were not baptized. Something that is more common today than maybe at any other time is something called open membership. We're not worried about whether you're baptized or not. If you're saved, you're a member. We're not we're worried about whether you're baptized, whether it was by sprinkling or whether it was by pouring or whether it was by immersion. That's, that's unimportant to us. If you're saved, you're a part of the church. It's open membership. Do you realize that 
uh, you should ground everything you believe in what this book says. You understand that? Any preacher who stands before you and does not ground his message in the, in the, in the Word of God, in the Scripture, you, you shouldn't even be listening to it. It should, be, it should be firmly grounded in the Scripture. And when you go back to the Scripture, here's what you discover. There is no such thing as church membership without baptism. There is no such thing as church membership without, without baptism. The entry point to salvation is through faith in Christ, but the entry point to partnership in a local church is through baptism. On the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 people that were saved. They trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, and they were baptized. And that day, after the baptism, and that day, 3,000 were added to the church. When did the addition take place? At the moment of their salvation? No, not until the moment of their baptism. Baptism doesn't save us. But baptism is a matter of establishing an association that we want to be a part of this local body of believers, that we want to join our hearts with their hearts and join in a partnership with them in a work that's being done. And by the way, every believer in Jesus should be a part of a local congregation. Every believer in Jesus. The New Testament also knows nothing of believers who are living off on their own in isolation, just going on by themselves. Christianity is a community faith. Did you hear what I just said? Christianity is a community faith. Individually, we trust Jesus each for ourselves, but it brings us into a community where we're encouraging one another and we see each other's imperfections and we know the people sitting across from us aren't as good as they're letting on at this very moment. But we're all focused together on the work of God and the will of God and the Word of God and we're all focused on glorifying God. And when we get out of line, sometimes we have to be corrected. By the way, you don't want a preacher that's just going to tell you what you want to hear when you come on Sundays. My job isn't to just salve your conscience. My, my, my job is to keep reminding you about what's really important in life. My job is to keep pointing you to the things that are eternal and not just temporal. My job is to keep pointing you to the things that are biblical and scriptural, not just popular. And baptism is a matter of establishing association with a local church. I mean, if a person's unwilling to be publicly baptized and identify himself with the Lord Jesus Christ, can we be confident about any other area of obedience in his or her life? I mean, if you've known that you were supposed to be baptized, but you were unwilling to be baptized, I mean, really, could you be confident that that person isn't going to have that same spirit about a lot of other things that are being taught in the New Testament? Baptism signifies identification. Baptism constitutes dedication. It establishes association. It brings us into a family, brings us into a body of believers, into a community of faith where we're doing life together. But fourthly and finally, baptism indicates submission. Baptism indicates submission. It means you recognize that you're not the Lord of your own life, that He is now the Lord of your life. And your desire is to be obedient to him in every way, to submit yourself to his lordship. I think maybe one of the prime reasons people don't get baptized after they're saved is the whole issue of submission. We live in a society that's all self-centered. 
We're self-made, we're self-willed, we're self-determined. It's all about self. We don't want anyone else telling us what to do. We don't want to be submissive. As a matter of fact, that's almost a curse word in modern America, right? It's almost a curse word. You mean me be submissive? Hey, listen, I'm not asking you to submit to me or to the person sitting next to you. I'm asking you to be submissive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And baptism not only identifies you with the Lord Jesus, it not only says forward-looking that you're going to be dedicated to follow Him as His disciple, bringing you into an association of believers, a community of faith, it says, I'm going to submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's one of the very fundamentals, submission to the Lordship of Christ is one of the very fundamentals of being a disciple of Jesus. A lot of you have played sports, and you understand that no matter how good you may get at your given sport, the one thing you can never neglect are the fundamentals. When I was learning to play golf, first thing they teach you to do, they put the golf club in your hand, and they show you how to grip the golf club, because if that fundamental isn't right, it doesn't matter what else you do. They teach you how to align your body, your feet, and your hips, and your shoulders, because if that isn't occurring, it doesn't matter what else you may do. They teach you certain other things that are what we call the fundamentals. And you may advance to a certain level that you can do things that other people can't do, but ultimately when there starts to be a problem, you've got to come back to the what? You gotta, what do you got to come back to? You've got to come back to the fundamentals. One of the fundamentals of Christianity is baptism. It's a fundamental declaration that I am submitting myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. Think about it. When Jesus was baptized by John, remember when he came down to the Jordan River? John didn't want to baptize him at first, didn't feel worthy to baptize him. Remember what Jesus said? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus said that he was being baptized to fulfill all righteousness. So let me ask you a question. Did, John need to, did Jesus need to repent of his sins? Did, need, did Jesus need forgiveness of his sins? Then did Jesus need to go through baptism as John was doing? Not in that sense of the word. But he was willing to do what the law required him to do. Did Jesus need to be circumcised? That which symbol, uh, symbolized the cutting away of the flesh? So you stop living according to the flesh. Did Jesus need to do that? I mean, he's the sinless son of God. No, but he did it to obey the law. In the same fashion, when we're baptized, we're saying, Lord, we're coming to you and submitting to your lordship and saying, we will obey you in whatever you tell us to do. Baptism signifies identification. It constitutes dedication. It establishes association. And it indicates submission. I'm coming, Lord, and you're going to be the Lord of my life. I give up control of my life to you. Whatever you want, uh, whatever your will may be, whenever you want me, whatever you call me to do, whatever it is you say in your word, Lord, I submit myself to your will. Now, I realize that a lot of people say, well, we shouldn't do it like you're talking about. We need to sort of dumb it down. 
Let's make, let's like make, make baptism as easy as possible. Let's get as many people over the hump. And once we got them over the hump, then we'll help them to do the things they need to do. <laughs> That's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches us. We don't lower the bar. We put the bar exactly where God says it ought to be. And then we ask people, if you want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, here is the bar. If you want to be his disciple, you want to be his faithful follower, you want to do more than just escape hell. You want to know what it is to have a meaningful, purposeful life that's lived according to the Scripture, that is Christ-like in your attitude and Christ-like in your, in, in your actions. We're not going to lower the bar. We're going to put it right where Jesus put it. And then we're going to say, all right, here it is very first thing right out of the blocks you just trusted Jesus very first thing follow the Lord in believers baptism oh but I was sprinkled when I was a kid follow the Lord in believers baptism well I was baptized before I came to to faith in Jesus follow the Lord in believers baptism that means that you trust Christ as your Savior, and then you follow Him in baptism, and you stand before others and identify with Jesus, declaring that as you look forward, you're going to follow Him. You're going to be His disciple. It brings you into an association with other believers in Jesus, and it declares that He is my Lord, and I submit myself to Him. There was a practice, an ancient practice, I wish we still did it today. In the early church, when a person was to be baptized, they would stand in the waters of the baptistry and they would shout out loud, Jesus is Lord! I'm not so sure that maybe we shouldn't return to that. We don't, we don't need you to shout. We've got amplification now. I'm not so sure we shouldn't return to that where we say, you know, will you declare that Jesus is Lord, because baptism is always a sign of submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when you come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, suddenly your life begins to transform. Your attitudes, your actions, your associations, everything about your life begins to change. And you listen, it's not about you getting rid of friends, it's about friends that start scattering from you, because all of a sudden you're acting like Jesus. By the way, while there may be some that will scatter, there will be a whole bunch that you'll be a magnet to because they're looking for something that's missing in their lives and they'll discover that in your life you have found the fulfillment and the meaning and the purpose of what life is all about. There's an interesting story about a man named William Barker. He was a machinist at the Ford Motor Company in the early years of the Ford Motor Company. One night he was at a service and he received Christ as his Savior. And a little bit later, he followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And he came under the Lordship of Christ. And God began working on his heart and convicting him because this man had been stealing some parts from the company and he had stolen some tools from the company. And he knew under the Lordship of Christ that he needed to make restitution for these things. So he gathered them all together. And the next day he went to work, went to his boss, and he gave all of these things back to his boss. He apologized. He apologized for taking these things away from his boss. He understood. He had come under the Lordship of Jesus. But his boss didn't know what to do. Nobody's ever done this before. Nobody's ever tried to make restitution before. 
And so his boss uh, sent a wire, a cable, to Mr. Ford, who was out of the country, and said, Mr. Ford, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with this man? I mean, you might have expected that Mr. Ford would have cabled back and said, fire him. If he was stealing from the company, we can't trust him. Fire him. Mr. Ford cabled back and he said, make a dam in the Detroit River and baptize the entire city. Make a dam in the Detroit River and baptize the entire city. You see what he's saying? You see what he's saying? When you come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, it changes who you are because you're now submitted to God. And even when there's need for restitution, you're, really, you're, you're willing to make restitution to make things right with others. Baptism is a big deal. We, we laugh about it and we have fun with it. And I've, I've laughed about it and I've done some dumb things. Hopefully not when I'm baptizing you. I've done some dumb things. But dear friends, this is, this is not a matter just to laugh about. This is a matter to take deadly serious. I'm glad that you're going to heaven. I'm glad that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. I'm glad that you've escaped the fires of hell. I'm glad that your sins are forgiven. I'm glad that you have eternal life. I'm glad. But that's not where God intended for you to finish. That was the beginning place. Now you go to the next step, which is called discipleship. Now I go on to follow the Lord. And Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. It's the first thing he mentions. As we are going, we are leading people into discipleship with Jesus. And the very first thing we lead them to is, what is it, church? It's baptism. Following the Lord in believers' baptism. And here's something great about baptism. It's the great equalizer. I don't know how you came in here a little while ago. Some of you came in with just very plain, maybe tattered clothes. That's great. We're glad you're here. Thank God you're here. Others of you might have put on something that's a suit or something that's a tie, or you maybe you dressed up in some, some fancier clothes. You got your hair all fixed up, you got your makeup on if you're a lady. I don't know, some men I guess fix their hair up. You got your makeup on, and you came in here, but do you realize baptism is the great equalizer? No matter who you are or how successful you are or who you know, all, all have to go under the water alike. There are some who come forward in expensive suits and the dangling gold jewelry and costly hairdos, but the suits are exchanged for a humble robe, and the jewelry comes off, and you say goodbye to the costly hairstyle, and everybody is the same. Matter of fact, I tell you this. You can't see it. We don't have a window. We should have had a window right there. Maybe not. If there's a window, you might have seen my mistakes back there. But when a person goes under the water, I see the person through the water. Do you know how God sees us? He sees us through His Son. He sees us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees us through His Son. Through His Son. Baptism is a great equalizer. Doesn't matter if you're wealthy or you're poor. Doesn't matter if you're black or you're white. Doesn't matter where you come from, whether it's one side of the tracks or the other. Doesn't matter. 
Doesn't matter if you're fancy when you come to church or you're very plain when you come to church. The fact of the matter is the great equalizer is baptism and it's a place where we humble ourselves and we say, Jesus, I'm identifying with you. And I'm declaring that going forward, I'm going to be your disciple. I'm going to follow you with all of my heart, bringing you into a community of faith where you can live together and stay focused together on the work of God and on the things of God and on the Word of God, declaring that He is your Lord and you will obey Him. You'll make restitution. You'll make things right. You want to be the kind of person that that people see Jesus in Him or in her. Baptism's a big deal. It's not something to be taken lightly. Let me close with this story. In Acts chapter 8, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. He'd come from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem. Stay with me. Don't close your Bibles. I'm not through. I may take another offering yet. (laughs) He'd come all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship God. He already had a heart for God. He's been to Jerusalem He's worshiped God, though he doesn't know this God. He doesn't know this God personally. He doesn't know what this God has done for him. But this important Ethiopian man is now headed home. He has an entourage with him. He's a a state official. And he's headed home. He's got this entourage with him. He's riding in some kind of a carriage. And God sends Philip, one of the first deacons in the New Testament church, who was also an evangelist. God sent Philip to join himself to that Ethiopian eunuch. That is, to follow along and to listen. The Ethiopian eunuch was reading from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, the passage that talks about the suffering Savior. But the Ethiopian couldn't understand it. He couldn't figure it out. And Philip sees and hears all of this unfolding, and he says, Do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian responds, how can I understand it unless somebody explains it to me? I I don't understand it. And Philip offered to explain it to to, to him. And the Ethiopian invited him up into the carriage. And they're riding along now, moving along with this entourage, this state official headed back toward his home. And Philip begins to explain that Isaiah 53 is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, is the suffering Savior who came to die for mankind's sins, pay the penalty of mankind's sins so that man could be saved. After he's explained this, and this man has put his faith in Jesus, they come along. They're in a desert area, mind you. At least a lot of it. They're in a desert area. They come along and they come to a pool of water. And the Ethiopian stops. He said, wait, stop. Everybody stop. And here's his question to Philip. What hinders me from being baptized? What hinders me from being baptized? Philip turns and asks him a question about Jesus, and the Ethiopian responds, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He put his faith in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Philip said, there's nothing then that hinders you. They got down out of, the, out of the chariot. They went down into the water. They didn't sprinkle him. They didn't put, pick up some with a canteen and pour it on him. They went down into the water. 
Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. The scripture says Philip was immediately taken away. The Ethiopian got back up into his carriage and continued his journey on home, singing and praising God that he'd been born into the family of God. And he'd followed the Lord in believers' baptism. So let me ask you a question. What hinders you from being baptized? You say, well, there's no water. Well, yeah, there's water. What hinders you from being baptized? Well, all my family's not here. We can take care of that. We can invite them to come. You say, what hinders you? Well, I ask you, what hinders you from being baptized? Well, it's all those people that are watching. I've never lost anybody in the baptistry. They're all going to see my hair get wet. And they're going to see me with my glasses off. They're going to see me with my jewelry off. They're going to see me plain. We're all equal when we come to baptism. It's not a time to show off who we are. It's a time to declare whose we are. It's a time for us to step forward and say, I follow Jesus.